Hi, folks. Um, we are back for part three of the Living Fabulously Fierce Shared Space Roundtable. Uh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, and my guests have really been committed to sharing their perspectives while being open and super vulnerable in their transparency. And, and you have responded positively with open minds, um, evidenced by your questions that you've continued to send in and your open hearts evidenced by sentiments that you'd share, you've shared of empathy. It, it's been overwhelming in a really positive way and on two fronts. One, I, I'm picking up on the hunger for ongoing conversations like this, for transparency and vulnerability. And as one listener put it, just being able to eavesdrop, but understanding that getting that eavesdropping opportunity is also a, a call for accountability. That, that I, when, when that was shared, I appreciated that so much. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing some of the feedback that's been sent in with the panel today. Um, my guest. I, I haven't shared any of it with them. They have no idea. I, I've been telling them that folks are really interested and have been sending their comments, but I haven't shared any specifics. So thank you for sharing your, your thoughts and reactions because I'll, I'll be able to share that with them today. Um, I'm not going to hold this up from the meat of today's episode, the, the conversation with our guests, but I did want to just level set with a reminder that our intention here has really been to, number one, pull back the curtain on candid conversations that are happening with um, different groups of people, with ours just being one example of that. Uh, second, to facilitate insight through some level of informal education, again, just through transparency. And finally, to contribute to progression from our current state of affairs in the world, um, in the space of all that's happening on the racism front, um, by just opening more hearts and minds to the, to the depths of what the reality is for people who are experiencing this as folks who are impacted directly um, by what we're seeing in, in our world. And so I won't hesitate, um, but just wanted to let you know again that we, we're going to continue the series. And I, I definitely want to continue to hear what you have to say about it. So please, please, please continue to send your thoughts. You know, post some comments on the Living Fabulously Fierce page. I know some of you said you rather DM just to maintain confidentiality, which I always respect and honor. Um, but, you know, with my guests being vulnerable, I invite you to do the same and know that it is actually a safe space. Um, but with no further ado, welcome to the final round table with Manushka Atim, Judith Bernier, Fabienne Bienname, Tandy Falala, and Charnay LaFloria. Enjoy the episode, folks. Well, hello, hello, ladies. How are you doing? Good. Um, good. Just good. I guess survived another week. 
survive survival in survival mode it's friday uh at the time that we're recording this so it's the the tjif mode for our, our listeners our guests are reveling in that right now fab how is it with you it's been great we've got a, a full week so just um looking forward to the weekend much earned i can say that i really can't complain i've had a full week of vacation. Um, so I've been off of work, off of work this week. What's interesting is this is the first vacation that I've had that has been a staycation. I literally cannot remember the last time I had time off of work and wasn't out of the country. So this week has been amazing because it's been really, um, it's kind of been a retreat mode for me, which has been really, really good. But it was a little bit of a mental struggle because it's not like I had a choice, right? Yeah. Like given current circumstances, you know, Corona's not letting us do anything or quite frankly, you can at your own risks, right? And I'm not willing to take that risk. And so here I am. And, but it was, it's funny. I, I thought about that a lot this a week. And yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting because I got in a lot more miles running this week, which is really, really good. So it just made me think about the fact that one thing that I actually need to work on is just sitting still because I really, like, I really cannot do that. That is, that is actually, let me sit, rephrase that. That is not my default. Um, yeah. So in the midst of all of this, it's definitely uh, something to be learned. So TGIF indeed, either way. So what I want to do is um, just note we're at the third and final roundtable. Um, we've had multiple sessions now. And at this point, we've, we've discussed quite a bit. Um, and I just, I want to thank you. I want to get, thank Mushka, Shay, Judith, Tandy, Fab, like, I just want to thank you guys because throughout this entire process, you've just been really honest and transparent and vulnerable. And that was my hope. And, and you definitely exceeded that, that hope for me. So I'm, I'm beyond grateful for that. Um, and so what I thought is we'll just pick up right where we left off in the roster of questions that came in. Um, but I also wanted to share some of the feedback we've gotten so far because I've heard a lot from folks, both folks who had sent us their questions and folks who've been listening. So got a lot of DMs um, and text messages for those in my personal network as well. Um, and so I'll just read a few of those for you. Um, first, I loved it, exclamation point. Thank you, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. The next one, um, Manishka, this is for the comment that you made. Um, the I don't see color. Oh my gosh, how do you drive comment? That was from episode one. Um, one listener just thought that was hilarious in an otherwise very non-funny segment. And so, you know, we can always count on Manishka for some levity in, in that. That was definitely a good point for me. It, it caught me off guard too. Um, but it was in response to the commentary about, I don't see color and wanting to be seen. And then this one is a long one. Thank you so much for posing my question to the group. I felt so helped by the answers, helped in all caps. 
It is such a relief to go for simplicity versus eloquence as my guiding principle. I felt so real, excuse me, it felt so real and so useful to know that I can just say, I don't know what to say to you right now, but dot, dot, dot. The take home for me from episode one and two is acknowledgement is everything. And I can do that. I liked your points about the need for white people to go forward, uh, excuse me, to go towards uncomfortableness. Having the option not to be uncomfortable is the crux of it all. And I take it very seriously that I have to engage even more verbally and timely than I might have in the past. As for losing, excuse my French, shitty friends, I think I did that about 30 years ago, but it's a dynamic process. Um, I, I couldn't really pick. I thought I picked the top three, but I want to keep going. The next comment is, I love the segment in that it felt like being invited to eavesdrop on a conversation that I would otherwise not get to hear. What a privilege. I learned a ton. Um, and then one more, two more. Another thing that was so insightful was when you talked about how ingrained privilege is that these people don't stop when they see they are being recorded. I kept thinking to myself, wow, these people are so stupid. How stupid these people are. But you brought, a, brought it up as the point about privilege. That, was, that point of feedback was a big deal for me. Um, because when you're not in it and at the affect of it, you can say, wow, they're so stupid. And that's reasonable, right? Like that's a reasonable reaction. But apparently our conversation about that with Amy Cooper and pointing out, no, that's ingrained privilege. That, that was an aha moment for one of our listeners. And then, um, the last one is, uh, the comment, the, the experience I shared, about the woman who caught me off um, in a, cut me off in a meeting. Uh, one of our listeners said, I just have no words for what she said, how she said it, what drove it, and how everyone else went silent. And so I share all of this because we're having conversations. Selfishly, it's awesome for me because I get, just get to catch up with all of you and appreciate being in the moment and your experiences and having good dialogue. But I also want you to know again, as a respecter of your time, you've invested your time and energy in this and it's yielded a great deal for our listeners and it, it's not for naught. And so with all of that, I hope that hearing our listeners' feedback further empowers you in your day-to-day -day beyond the Living Fabulously Fair shared space roundtable to just do what Fab said, like two weeks from now, keep the conversation going. Um, and position yourself to to comfortably share um, what's on your mind, especially as it relates to this topic. Did any of the feedback, you know, really resonate um, more than any other? It's just good to hear what the the or your listeners are coming back with, because you you engage in this conversation, and we're in a lot of the times when we're recording, it's really us just having a dialogue, but to hear someone else's perspective based on what is being discussed, it's really interesting. And um, I appreciate their being candid also on their and their responses and how they are taking in the information that we're sharing. Yeah, yeah. I, I share the same um, sentiments. Um, what's funny is that I told you that my mom said she listened. Yeah. And her first thought was, 
you guys are not scared that it will affect your jobs or your opportunities to talk about these things. Yeah. So we had that conversation. She's from that generation where, um, you know, you don't have that freedom to have these kind of conversations and engage in such a loud manner where worldwide can be seen. That's another thing. She's like, well, who listens to podcasts? And I have to explain that <laughs> process. Yeah. But it was interesting engaging with her. And I was just like, yeah, it's important. Said, but, you know, I always worry. And I always, you know, come from a place of just always make sure you have a paycheck and you, mm-hmm. you secure your livelihood. And and I said, but these, this is necessary. So that, you know, with, with what you're... Um, the feedback that you got, it's it's positive. And, and I challenge her as, as well as I'm challenging your listeners to go ahead and be brave and have these uncomfortable conversations in yeah. any space. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because I mean, Fab, you've been most consistent in, in pointing that out for us is like, we all need to just continue having this conversation. And it's so interesting, Tandy, because you know, first of all, to hear your mom's listening to the podcast, I mean, that's that's big whoop. That's not minor, right? Like, right? Like, the hands are going up. And so that's a big deal. But also, you know, I, I, I think it's hilarious on some level that she's saying, but aren't you worried about the risk, right? And do you remember your, one of your landing points for us in the, in um, the second round table was these, uh, the, the younger generation, they are not afraid. So it's interesting because for her, it's it's funny because you're the generation that you are seeing even after you. So it's just, it's it's not funny, haha, but funny, fascinating, right? Like that we're in this kind of balance across generations of this topic, which could be a whole other round table, the generational perspectives um, on all of this. Uh, sorry, my phone is blowing up. We just got a public safety alert due to the coronavirus here in California. So, you know, real life. Okay. So with that, (laughs) what I thought we would do today, um, and, and, you know, I'm just going to say this for our listeners, because you can't see our beautiful guests like this, starting off with the feedback, I want you to know that is the first time while we've had chuckles and laughs that I've seen every single one of my guests just smile from ear to ear. And so I want you to know that we appreciate you listening and then also telling us that in your listening, you're learning Um, because it means that while we have this shared space and we are inviting you in with your questions, you are also coming in with your reflections and it means that us raising our voices taking the risks to raise our voices is, is not in vain. So I want to share that as well. Um, but I thought we would do is pick up, we have two more questions from the roster of questions that originally came in. Um, so I want to go through two more questions. And then I just kind of want to open up for a discussion for all of us and see where the conversation goes. I, I'm cheesy, saddened that this is our last round table of this group, but it doesn't mean the round table can't be revisited. But I just, yeah, sad face. Um, Shay just did a tear mark for us. But, you know, I, I just want you to think about, you know, this conversation is going to be the last of the first trio of, of conversations. So let's 
answer the questions and then anything else you want to just share and get off our chest for our, our listeners, um, we're more than welcome to. So the question mode of operating, again, folks are coming in vulnerable. The first one is pretty simple. First question is, what can I do to help my kids be better? Um, I'm not a parent, but I had a couple of, I have white friends as all of this stuff was happening, you know, uh, they reached out, you know, as we've all been getting calls from our white friends and colleagues checking up on us. But one of the things that both of them said is, you know, I know things are pretty bad right now, but one of the ways I'm going to try to make it better is by teaching my kids through these kids right here to do better. And I think we might've touched up on this before, but I think that, you know, after civil rights of the 1960s, what came from that was a whole lot of colorblindness, right? Like I don't see color, right? And, you know, everyone's the same. Well, no, that means you are just like hiding the real troubles, right? So have honest conversations with your kids about the history of America, because the reality is they're not going to learn it in school, right? Yeah. And so, and obviously, you know, choose however, whatever the conversation is that's appropriate for the age of your kids, but then also teach them about being an ally, right? And teach them about, you know, this, these types of behaviors are wrong. And if you see something, raise it, say something, right? Um, or if you see something, depending on how young they are, come home and tell me about it, you know, and we'll figure it out, whatever it might be. But have those conversations with your kid. It's not enough to say you do not see color because yeah. you are, you know, complacent in making them ignorant and that's not helpful to anyone. So, yeah. you know, I, I would add that. Yeah. Um, I would uh, chime in to say, this is Shay, by the way, um, one of the incredible things that happened um, in going into teaching because uh, my actual first year in the classroom in a public school, well, charter public school setting uh, was fifth grade last year. And um, I made it my... Well, I don't want to even say I made it my mission. It was just who I am. So, you know, Black History Month came around. And um, interestingly, uh, very few teachers were doing anything. Um, and uh, in particular, there was no real plan regarding Black History Month for the school as a whole. And uh, likewise, even for fifth grade and those leading fifth grade, they had no, no plan in regards to black history. Um, so I decorated my, my door, my classroom door and, uh, utilized my students, um, who, you know, are very artistic and, you know, we had fun decorating the door with, uh, just this whole thing. And, um, February and a little bit of March was all about, you know, black history. So uh, it was wonderful having my fifth graders now, well, this year, sixth graders come back to the classroom and share with my third graders, because I was a third grade teacher for the first time this year. 
and share with them one of the best things that they loved about being in the classroom was our Black History teaching time and that they learned so much. And what hit me from them during that opportunity and teaching them um, was one, how much they did not know. Yeah. And the other was just how deeply sensitive and caring they were in regards to it and appreciative. So of course, you know, made them aware in regards to slavery, you know, all that entailed, you know, the Atlantic yeah. route, you know, all of those things and their heartfelt literal tears that were shed as they learned about that. But then the great joy and pride that I had from seeing their projects at the end of our time in Black history in particular, um, and just how they embraced it. And I shared with them and had moments in the classroom where I was just like, wow, what I'm doing right now is a part of the hopes and dreams of those that were before. In particular, Dr. King, and I thought about that, and I, I said to them, I said, you know, if it wasn't for those who have gone before, like Thurgood Marshall and Dr. King and all those that um, have gone before us, I wouldn't be your teacher, and you wouldn't wow. be my student. Wow. Um, yeah, and it, and it hit me that hard, but I said all of that. Um, and the same was true for my third graders. Now, of course, I had to uh, curtail some details and and not go as in-depth as I was able to with my fifth graders because I even went to the point of contacting my fifth grade students' parents to get their permission to show them um, the documentary on Emmett Till. And uh, yeah. prepare them for that because I remember when I was... Um, impacted by what happened to him. And so, um, of course, I wasn't and did not show the video to the third graders, uh, but I did give them bits and pieces of the story enough to know the significance of what happened. And so you can give information and you know how, as Nushka said, you know how to tailor it for your child. Yeah. Um, but the importance of number one, educating yourself, and then also educating your children. And that goes into reading, which is, you know, that's a whole nother soapbox I can stand up on and shout and scream because so many parents are not yeah. reading for children and or having books available for their children. And um, it's just a necessity. It's a necessity. So um, just know that they are very open to the yes. information and they soak it up like a sponge. One little wonderful note I wanted to share. So this year with the third graders, right? The awesome thing about my school, we can bring in curriculum and, and you know, information that we choose. So, you know, YouTube is great. And so I showed them um, a video of the Nicholas Brothers. And when I tell you that I had feet just tapping in my room and <laughs> calls from parents telling me how much uh, their students enjoyed all that they learned, yeah. uh, but I mean, they literally stood up and clapped. 
Yes. They just, they loved it. And they were actually sad. Like my fifth graders, once we actually had to move on and uh, continue on in the rest of history. So they, uh, they loved it though. So what's interesting is as you started talking, you were pointing out how none of the other teachers were doing anything for Black History Month. My I didn't say that, say that again. Sorry. Then they did. Then all of a sudden, other teachers. Of course, right, right. So I shouldn't say of course, but thank goodness, right? But my reaction was, wow, how could they get away with not doing that? And I had to. I had to quickly realize that's actually not how I learned it. Cause so growing up in Boston, went to an after school program, Lena Park Community Development Center. And that's where I learned it all. It was through the after school program leaders, um, the educators there, Ms. Charlene Mind Smart, Mr. Smart, Ms. Beverly Minds, like those are the people who told who taught us. Like that's where I learned about Ida B. Wells. Yes. That's what I learned about Shirley Chisholm. That's what, yes. like, and it was just interesting because I'm like, what do you mean they didn't celebrate Black History Month? I was like, no, 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 they didn't celebrate it for you either, Farah. So thank God for the people who showed up, right? And so, I, and they introduced me to the Nicholas Brothers, which is how I got into tap dancing, right? But it's just so interesting because you, you had to do extra. And so I, I think part of the answer to this question is, just accept having to do extra and then do the extra because you also didn't say you just rattle stuff off the top of your brain. Like, you know, this history, but it's not like you just created curriculum off the top of your head. You went to YouTube, you pulled up information. And at that age, they are super receptive to just learning about humanity. Um, and I'll stop rambling, but I, I, I mean, how perfectly poignant for you to share with them that if it weren't for people before you, so you true. you could not be their teacher and they could not be your student. I mean, that, yeah. wow. And I'm such a diverse, every year, and I'm so thankful for that, such a diverse group of students. Um, you know, Haitian, Chinese, um, just, just a plethora of students, you know, from Jamaica, just a whole group of just beautiful babies. And um, they were just so open to everything. And I was so um, just very focused on the fact that we were not going to just focus on Dr. King and Rosa Parks. And we love them, however. But there is so much more. Exactly, exactly. I know which ones you're talking about. Yes. The history cards. Yes. I brought those to school as well. And so every morning for morning meeting, uh, we would pick a card and talk about that particular person uh, in Black history. And so it also, uh, you know, even expanded my knowledge in regards to our history because there is so much. It's, it's just impossible to retain or know all of it. Um, but, and just to be forever a learner, but that's me as a teacher saying that too, you know? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. 
I wanted to add onto that um, beautifully that as for the adult who's asking the question, they can be part of the learning process also. And, you know, PBS has a lot of great documentaries. Um, Amazon Prime with- now too, and Netflix, they all have these um, yeah. resources that are categorized under Amplify Black Voices. And yeah, and, and uh, Henry Louis uh, Gates, who uh, professor Black um, studies in at Harvard, I think he still is. Yes. And he has a Black in Two Minutes, like Instagram um, series. So in two minutes, you learn tidbits about Black history that you can look up. And it's on, it's on Facebook also. And it's great because I've been learning so much where it takes me back like, wait, I, I, I didn't know that? And it's just great two minutes, little tidbits, and it's, it's a great starting place to then explore a little bit more. Um, I would really encourage the adults in the process because let's be clear, the education process of adults did not give the uh, Black history component. And Black history actually expanded beyond the shores of the US. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of Black achievers who are in, in the uh, UK, who are in Africa, yes. Brazil, that I'm learning about, um, South America, and, and actually Asia, that I'm so shocked about. Uh, um, and so there's so much more to dive into. And it, it's if it's a matter of, I, I remember one time I saw this, this thing on, on news where a woman said, well, I don't want to watch that, or I don't want my kids to watch that, because it was a long time ago, and you know, it makes me feel bad, like all, you know, what, and I had to sit back and say, you know, every single day in this world, black people live in the reality that the news, when it comes to people of color, is always negative. Most of the time is really positive. You know, it's either a, a crime, a case, some blue lights are in the background going off. And we live with that feeling of, you know, when it, uh, I remember when the DC sniper was happening, a whole bunch of us said, oh, I hope he's not black. And then he, you know, Ooh. he was. Yeah, but we have those moments where, we, you know, so when you're reflecting on slave owners, it's your history, most likely someone within your DNA. But you have to recognize that that's the truth that happened but I'm here to change the course yes. of, of, of that. And if you dedicate yourself to that part, then reading about maybe your own ancestor will make you feel bad. You're like, I expected that. That's the history. It happened. However, at this point, this is who I am defining my heritage and where it goes. So that's the, that's the space that I'm in, that you, you just got to look at it from that bit. And, and be brave and just deal with it because every day we're just you know we have, the fact that black people are shown in a negative light you yeah know? so I, I think you, to your point about reconciliation this is the thing that brian stevenson always talks about right we have to get to a point in this country where we are committed to embracing the truth the truth of our history as a country right and in our acceptance of that truth, then, then we can start to approach and get through reconciliation. I think, you know, New Zealand um, 
they they have a model for it. They will tell you they are not there yet with the um, history with the Aborigines and the Maoris. Like, however, there is no, um, at least from my perception, no hesitation to embrace the truth of their history. And I think like one of the most beautiful things that I remember hearing on a tour while I was there was the bus driver told us, he's like, you know, we just, we've accepted what has happened, accepted as true, the history. And it's gonna take a whole lot more than money to make it right and programs to make it right. It's gonna take a whole lot of love. And I remember sitting there on the bus in this, on this tour, like, and, and it, we were already under the current administration. And I was just, for me, it was like, wow, can we ever get to a point in the US when we can say it's going to take a whole lot of love? Yeah, I was going to say um, to what you just said about New Zealand, I think if we look at places like New Zealand and places like Germany that have had yes. these atrocities, the big difference between them and the US is this like truth and reconciliation, yes. right? Where they acknowledge that what happened here was truly terrible, right? So if you look at a place like Germany, Germany does not have a statue of Adolf Hitler right. or any of the other, you know, people who were involved, the other generals who were involved in the Holocaust, right? And they teach their kids about it and acknowledge that it was a terrible period and really, really work to make sure that this doesn't happen. Whereas America has systemically just found different methods of oppressing the people that they have enslaved, right? So when they went from enslavement, you know, to like forcing them to, you know, work on plantations for little to no money, right? And it just was like one thing after it was redlining, it was mass incarceration, but there's never a moment of saying all these terrible things happen and we need to make right by it. Like in America, all of the conversation of reparations, it almost is just like a non-starter, right? And the attitude is very much like, well, we need to get over it. It wasn't me, it was my ancestors. No, this is something that continues till this day. And so we'll never get to a point of, you know, we just need a whole lot of love because then that would that would require for the systems and the powers that be to acknowledge that what happened was terrible, but it didn't end in 1865. It continued till this day and that has not happened. So we just, I mean, we are like, centuries away it feels like yeah. and, and uh, the last thing i would add on that um i think children learn through experiences um i think all of us have said here that they're sponges mm -hmm. but their best i would say their role model the first one that they have are their parents mm -hmm. or the people that you surround them with so someone wants to teach their children about you know, doing better, start by doing better. Right. Kids will pick it up. They will soak it up because that's what they're used to. That's what yeah. they've seen in their environment. When you look at your your social network, when you look at the folks that you interact with, who are they? 
if there are no diversity in that circle, kids are not used to diversity. When you are somewhere and you see something happening and you know something tells you that this is not right, I should say something. Do you say something? Right. Do you stay here like a bystander and do not interact? If you are used to standing up for what is not right, if you're used to being an advocate, your kids will grow up knowing that my parents would never stand up for that. So I have to do this. Be your kid's teacher. Yeah. Start by doing it, and they will get there. That's how we change it. What was interesting is through this, the movement that we're having right now, it was interesting to look at um, Nickelodeon. Mm. Through Nick Jr., they have Black Lives Matter messages that goes on in between shows for kids. When I saw it, it warmed my heart yeah. because if we wanted to change, we all know it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But if we wanted to change, that's when it, that's where it starts. It's from a very young age, teaching them if it's not right, you have to speak up. You have to stand up for those who don't have a voice. Yeah. So it is happening, and parents should lean in and teach by example. It's the best way to do it. I especially love that because you are the, your kid's first teacher, right? They they are sponges. I mean, they just do what we do. They show up the way we show up. You know, I shared how my heart was broken when this little girl in the playground at six years old called my nephew the N-word, but I know she didn't know what that meant. I know she didn't know what that meant, but she'd heard it. She knew it was something that could hurt somebody, even if she didn't know what it meant. So to help your kids be better, be better, right? And be intentional through learning, um, because that, that I, I mean, I don't know what else is better than that. Yeah, I'm not saying to disregard the literature. It is, it is great. And there's no, a lot absolutely. Of it, and I think there's a lot of, you could reinforce because your school district, your, your private school may not be offering, um, you know, a list of books that are diverse, that talks about um, Black history, that talks about all the unspoken Black heroes. But you know that they're out there. So expose your kids to that. Yeah. Watch some of the movies about a lot of the Black, there's a lot, a lot of movies about that. Let's make sure that you're exposing them. I'm not saying not to do all these things. It takes all of that, but I think the foundation biggest influencer yeah by the parents okay i also have to prove manishka wrong during today's conversation she's like you do know you're going on to sex uh, a fourth session right no we're gonna go to the next question <laughs> not because i don't want to but there's so much more to to intake to take in so the next question is i love mentoring and sometimes that includes giving critical feedback. With people like me, I know the questions I need to ask myself to know if it's really helpful or not, but not with people of color. With people of color, I feel like I'm missing some of those self-reflection questions. So I guess the question would be, what additional questions should I be asking myself before giving feedback, both good and bad? First and foremost, it, did you so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this person was asking the questions in a leadership position 
and they're in charge of the culture, right? So did you create the culture that fosters for someone to speak to you honestly? Or have, is it a type of place where people feel underneath you, um, who, who uh, your direct reports, feel that if they speak the truth, they are dealt with? I'm gonna- stuck there. I'm, I'm gonna- I'm gonna simplify it just cause I know a little bit more about this, okay. this particular situation. Um, yeah. Think about the folks we have been mentored by, mm-hmm. right? Some of them have been people who can influence culture. Most of them not really, cause a mentoring relationship is really less formal in terms of, you know, a sponsor needs power, right? Mentors not necessarily. But a mentor is committed to making sure, like we are together here, like, you know, if Shay's got something green in her teeth, I'm going to tell her. You don't. But I would tell her. You know what I mean? Like, your mentor is there to tell you when you're off kilter, when you're on the mark, et cetera, et cetera. So so this person is in that mode of operating and asking, like, I know what I would do for someone who looks like me, i.e. to another white mentee. But are there things that I'm not taking into account for some of my mentees who are people of color? Especially when I have to give critical feedback. All right. Um, Critical feedback, I would say, actually, treat it as you would somebody who looks like you. Yeah. That's That's the basics of it. And if you really have taken on mentoring a person of color, then you've actually accepted the fact that you need to tell them the conversations that happen when they're not there. Yes. The um, I have not had the, the uh, relationship of being mentored by someone who is not black. All my mentors are uh, black. And so therefore, if I was to have a mentor who's white and I'm open to it, I would expect for them to say, all right, so behind closed doors, this is the trash that is being, and, the, and this is how you champion that or you you fight it or you discuss ways to do that because if you're accepting the mentorship role for a person of color you got to understand that they're operating in a world that's different yes and you yourself are in a space of privilege where you know what is exactly being said in those roles that they're not in that they're not even invited to sometimes so Unless and until you're brave enough to have that, because if you have that conversation and you have that freedom to say that, everything else is easy. It's yeah. butter. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you can be as critical as say, you know what, your attitude needs to change because blah, 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 or you start that. You can say whatever it is with full, you know, without hesitation, because you're able to, you're comfortable enough to share those things that they're not aware of. So that's, that's my answer. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who, just because of the spaces I've been in, most of my mentors have, actually, most of my mentors have actually been sponsors. And that's a whole lot of favor and blessing, right? Like, I acknowledge that. And also systemic, but less, actually, almost all of them have been white, and one most impactful has been a Latina. And they held nothing back. They held 
nothing back. I remember actually sitting with one mentor and Tandy and Fab know this person. And I was sitting across from him. It was not a good day. I, I was not having a good day. I was not on my game. And he finally just looked at me and said, what in the world is wrong with you? I just looked at him. He said, I'm going to go get some water. Get it together or tell me what you need for me to help you get it together. He stepped out, came back in, got it together. And and you both know who I'm talking like, you know, and actually, you know, I'll call him out, Barry Neros. Holds no punches. No punches, right? He's retired now. And if he had feedback to give me, he would give it to me as if I still work for him. No, like no holds bar. And the reason that's important is because if you're really going to mentor somebody, if you're really going to sponsor them, you need to first prioritize the rapport so that you can be that direct. And then, then that person has no question as to your intention. Because if he and I didn't have the rapport, even though I get frustrated with him, if I didn't have the rapport that everything that he did was always well-intended, I would have been like, what do you mean, what's wrong with me? You know what I mean? What's wrong with you? No, like, you know what I mean? And so you have to prioritize building the rapport. And especially as a mentor, you actually get the luxury of that more than a sponsor. But you have to focus on the relationship building. You have to focus on the rapport building because all of that leads to trust. So that even when you say something like, I know someone who made the following mistake this non-white mentor, excuse me, this white mentor said this to a black mentee. You just need to cut your dreads. Now, if there's a relationship there, there can they can have a conversation as to what do you mean by that? And do I really? Well, I'm not willing to. Well, okay. So, so all of this is about less really a, about the questions you can ask or how to approach mentoring for a person of color and more about first prioritizing, just build a relationship because from there, there's less risk for anything critical you have to share being consequential or, or ending the relationship. You know, you just touched upon with that example, it means that someone has to question their biases. Yes. You got, you got to yes. deal with your hidden biases. And if that person who said, oh, you just have to crush up your dreads, that's something they were sitting with for a while. Yes. Just for an opportunity yes. to say so. Yes. You know, I, and instead of, the, of that mentor asking themselves, well, why is their natural appearance, their natural self problematic? Maybe I need to be instrumental in getting to other people's that's faces. Exactly, that's exactly yes. That's problematic because if you really want delivery on 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 task and, and someone who's innovative and, and, and get this is the person you want. How they present their hair is their natural state, just like you and I our hair comes out the way it is. Yeah. And that's how they just preserve it and it's it's their business. Um, if, if, see that mentor right there, I would have had a couple of words, <laughs> well, but it let wouldn't me... have been in a place of, it wouldn't have been a place of negativity. It would be like, okay, Why? now the mentee becomes the mentor because now I need to 
walk you through some things. Yes. So, so the context of that relationship, actually it's, so again, Tandy and Fab, just cause we both worked for this organization and Fab still does, it was in a professional services firm, right? And the truth of the matter is this mentor was trying to tell this mentee that the client was having an issue with this. And I don't want it to limit you in working with this high profile client. But to your point, Tandy, well, what can you mentor do to start shifting the perspective of the client who you're sending your talent to? Because that's just as important as trying to get the, the mentee to just be aware of things that could be surfacing as limitations, even just because it's just the way they show up. But I think it does come back to and, and boil down to the relationship, you know? Can I just say, I actually dealt with that exact same situation where um, I had a boss who the client kept calling about, well, you know, does Manushka always have to show up in dresses, right? And we were traveling, like we're going to travel and some of the places that we were going to, we were traveling to, some of the terrains might be a little bit like rugged because we had to, um, we were like filming videos or whatever. And, but I still showed up professional and I would still wear a dress, a blazer, and maybe like a flap or whatever. And he, before one of our trips, he called my boss and said, well, you know, I mean, can't you just wear like shorts or something like that, right? Like, and I'm just like, wait, so me showing up, like, and he just was very specific a couple of times saying, can't she just wear shorts or something? And I was really frustrated. And I think in that situation, rather than my manager saying, look, she's going to show, she's a professional and she's going to show up. She's going to be professional. Like what I have worn was never a problem. Never no. would put anyone, like, I mean, I was dressed in a blazer, right? But at that, in that moment, instead of that person checking the client and just saying, like, why do you have a problem with it? Like, what right. is what is the problem? Instead, it was, well, you know, can't you just, I don't know, don't wear a dress or whatever. But I'm like, there's like some sort of a weird bias that this man is calling you to tell you that your female you know, like, I have so many things to say, but right. And at that moment, I was just like, you know, to what Tan just said, like, I wish, like, at that point, my manager would have been like, I need to check you on this. Yeah. Like, what is the problem with her showing up dressed professionally? Right. right? Like, this isn't a her problem; it's a you problem. But it was left to me to like stand up and just be defiant. Yeah. And just say, no, you're not going to police what, what I wear. I Wear. like this is crazy especially when what i'm wearing is actually perfect you have a problem with me being professional professional telling me <laughs> like in a professional setting i wish you would just wear shorts i'm like that seems like a whole other whatever you know that's, but, yeah that's undressing you that's this is i would have taken it there like yeah. that's uncomfortable it is exactly. That's why I was just like, that's no. sexualization. Well, especially to Manushka's point that you see nothing wrong with a male client telling a male manager what a female employee should be wearing and right. asking me not to wear 
a dress with a blazer, but instead asking me to wear shorts. And then you you made the point, it, well, it was down to me to be defiant. You were put in a position right. to have to, like, it's not, this is the stuff, right? And so I think for managers, for mentors, for sponsors, especially. For he was a manager and a mentor. Till this day, he is. And I, I absolutely love him. But that was a bad call. Right. right. And, I, and I think that's for those who are not, who don't identify as people of color, who are playing these roles for people of color. One, I guess the first thing is one, prioritize relationship building, because then you can have a conversation about anything. Two, ask what role you might need to play if it's countering feedback that you're getting from other people. And then three, you know, as a coach, I always say this to people who are in these positions, help the person help you help them. I'm not saying get them to solve, but like if it were me and Manishka, like if I was the manager and I got this from the client, I would shut it down with the client, but I would say to Manishka, Manishka, you know, when we all go to this client, just given where they are, the rest of us are all wearing shorts. You are always professional. Is there a reason that you do not feel comfortable wearing shorts as well? And then we can have a conversation about that. And if it was just like, I just don't want to, I might then say, well, I just want you to know this came back from the client. I squashed it. But I just want you to know, like, this is what was happening, right? And if you're like, Farago kick rocks, I don't care. I'm still wearing my dress. I will support you in that, right? Funny enough, nobody was ever wearing shorts. That, funny enough, client pants. Nope, nope. That's why I was just like, you don't see a problem with this request? Yeah, that. Okay. <laughs> That's a whole other part. I, I was just going to say, this is this is why, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Like, this is why we're going to have another roundtable with just women and another roundtable with different demographics because yet the, we, that, what? <laughs> we'll cut yeah that's another round table yes audience there are many more round tables to come just get ready okay wow so I, I think we answered that question my goodness um and so what i wanted any other comments on that at all did i miss anybody no okay cool um so what i want to jump into now because we've gotten through all the questions um that came in and so again, the feedback has been phenomenally positive from our listeners, as I shared with you in the beginning. I hope the responses to these last few questions have been just as, if not even more helpful. Um, but in the remainder of our remaining time that we have left, I'm just really curious what in the in again the ongoing aftermath. Like we're still waiting for Brianna, Brianna Taylor. We've not now heard about. Um, is it Elijah McCain? Forgive me, I've forgotten his name. Um, and we're, like, there's just so much continuing to happen in our world. I mean, this conversation has happened over the course of three weeks in three different segments over an hour long each. And while we're providing insight and, and some level of education to the listeners, I really want to know for each of you, what is persisting for you that continues to be a challenge for you individually, for you personally, as Black women 
in the spaces in which you 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 still have to show up every day. Man, um, I can talk all day about this part. So, so many organizations post George Floyd came out with statements about supporting, you know, Black Lives Matter and the Black community and paying attention. And the organization that I work for being one of them, however, it's it's a statement that's disconnected to what we say who we are to versus who we are in practice. Say that and again. That, say that again. Uh, that's it's, important. It's, yeah, it's it's there's a disconnect between what who we say we are publicly to who we are in practice internally and being a black woman within that space that has been troubling for me to deal with on a day-to-day basis because i have to keep pointing out i say but you said you released the statement and these are the things that are going on i'm pointing out and it's been one of well no that's a different thing whereas you know the different aggressions and microaggressions and it's like, well, okay. Um, now I'm left to ponder how I'm picking up this battle. Society is one thing, you know, when I'm stepping out outside my door, where there are all these things running through my head that could happen to me or people that I love. But within my workspace, it's frustrating where there's a huge disconnect. I mean, I've had conversations where I've really put out my, my, um, thoughts honestly with the partners that I work with and I've been told that there's going to be some follow-up to it so we'll see what happens but that is that is my struggle right now um so many companies so many uh, you know uh, from makeup companies to they everyone has said so many things but there's still a disconnect and that's my struggle I'm with you yeah I'm Following up on what you just said, um, Tandy, so very similar to this, I am I am concerned about band-aid measures, right? So for instance, where, well, you know, we're not going to arrest the police officers that have killed Breonna Taylor, but look at this wonderful mural we've done. Isn't it nice, right? Where we'll see things like, we're not going to dismantle, you know, just systems of racism, but, you know, we are going to make a lipstick called Black Lives Matter, right? Or like, so it's just like all of these half measures, what, what, what we're really asking for is equality. Um, and I think like when I think about the workspace, we hear a lot, right, where Black Lives Matter and all of that stuff, but then am I seeing a real difference on your corporate boards, right? Right. Am I really seeing that black and brown people are getting the same opportunities? I'm concerned that we are in a moment where, you know, corporations um, have a spotlight on them. And so they're putting up, you know, Facebook posts and Instagram posts and all of this other very public PR type of stuff. But I think that, as things you know begin to see quiet down we're not going to see any challenges right so the aggressions that i deal with on a day-to-day basis they're going to remain right and they're going to move on and so that's what concerns me about just on a broader sense 
and also just in my day-to-day life, right? That there's been this acknowledgement that things are not fair, but trying to change the things that are not fair and just start righting some of those wrongs, that's really, really hard. And I am concerned that people are not going to do it and they're going to do dumb things that I'm just like, great if this makes you feel better, right? Like there's a sandwich shop that is like, instead of a BLT, they're calling it like a BLM sandwich, right? Like we didn't ask for that. Like that's all we asked for. We want justice, right? I want you standing up if you really, really want to be an ally and standing up and saying, why have we not arrested the police officers, you know, who have killed, murdered Elijah and Breonna Taylor? And then also looking in your own company and saying, are things fair here? Right. Am I giving everyone the same opportunities right here in my own backyard versus doing these cute little PR things that won't change anything for us? in the long run, right? Like, are you lobbying, you know, the city council and all these other people to just write some wrongs, right? That's what I want to see. Not you naming a lipstick, not you, you know, naming a sandwich. And so I'm concerned about all of that. And also, like I said, in a more local level, um, you know, the aggressions that I face at work in, you know, Yes, there's been some acknowledgement that we should do better. Are you actually going to do better? Or was it just a nice PR move? Because everybody felt like they had to put something yes. out. And they did. And then some of those same people, it's pretty quiet. Or if it's not quiet, it's the things that we're not asking you for, like a BLM sandwich, yeah. right? They're it's kind of like, right. right, like, you know, especially in the space that I work in, talent management, it really is about making sure we're managing the talent that we have. And for years, right, it's always been corporate entities will say, oh, well, we have a pipeline problem. No, you don't. You have a talent management problem, right? And so my concern is that organizations will not use this as an opportunity to think even more strategically about how we make sure that that equality is happen, happening, right? Because if we don't do that, we're just gonna like have this cycle all over again. I mean, just speaking to each of you in, in different format forums um, about your own experiences, right? Like that that's what I'm worried about. Like I, I, I think about that, you know, in 10 years from today, will it be different for you, right? And for me, I don't know. And that's what's overwhelming for me. For me and Farah, it's the same thing. It's not even just for me, it's for my kids later on. Yeah. Again, I I don't think it's gonna just happen overnight. Um, So I may not be the beneficiary, but for my kids at least be the beneficiary of all these changes that are helpful for. Exactly. So actually, I want to pick up there. So I couldn't have us have these conversations and not ask the following question. 
Um, we are all pretty well established in our careers, which is reflected in reflective of the investment of time and energy and education that you've put forth for yourself and, and for those of us who are parents, you know, for your families as well, right? And, and the excellence definitely shows. But there are Tandys, Manushkas, Shays, Fabians, Farahs who are more junior. And this is all happening while they're starting out their careers, while they're still early on. If you could give one piece of insight or wisdom or encouragement to those who are earlier um, earlier on in, in their careers, especially the other Black girls, um, as they're experiencing what we've been talking about, what, what do you want to share with them? Wow. Um, I know I didn't give y'all any prep whatsoever. I just dropped it. Good you luck. <laughs> I would say, you know what? I, I, I actually just told my niece because she's going to a senior year in high school. And she's thinking about college. And of course, with COVID, everything is different, right? Um, and I said to her, I said, man, I wish that the shackles that I had beginning of my career, I didn't have. And the shackles were always say the right thing, always present yourself the right way to fit in, always be a safe thing, package thing, so that you can get into certain spaces. I actually envy these younger people because they don't have those shackles. Yeah. Um, and they understand that their talent and what they have, their skills, and, and innovative ideas is something that's craved in, in, in actually in all spaces, in, in different industries. And with that, that's their currency. And, and even talking to my niece, she's like, oh, no, that's not a problem for me because I'm going to gain these skills. I already know what I want and what I'll have in this currency. And if a place doesn't work for me, I fire them. Yeah. And to them, quitting is I fire them and move on to the next thing. Or... I start my own company. The entrepreneurial spirit of the younger people is live. Because yeah. they, they have YouTube channels that are kicking back, you know, some currency to them. They have social media. They're utilizing all these tools in different ways. Because she has a PayPal account that she earns from different social media spaces or, you know, when I talk to her. And, and, the, and that in itself, well... My niece and my, my cousin, who's uh, in, in Canada, um, when I talk to them, I find that, you know, I hold back and say, you know, I don't want to poison them. I actually don't want to give the conditioning that I have mm. in my spirit to them because to they have a warrior spirit that I wish I had. So when we guide the younger people, let's ex actually recognize and not dim down that part of them. Yeah, it's one thing that I can say because I don't know about you guys, but the younger folks that I come across and talking about career and their approach to it, it's a different vibration and energy towards it. It and is, and they own themselves and and understand that um, they, they sh there should be a ceiling or a glass, uh, or a glass ceiling or anything to break. They're like, what's that about? If it's there, then I don't want to yeah. be in that building. Yeah, that building that has the glass space, 
because the creator of the of the glass ceiling it's their duty to take that down and if they're not i should be the one to, to break it up i said like and and they're not afraid to act either. Like I, I'll be really transparent. Like and actually, I share this with Wanishka. I have a few mentees who they decided I quit, right? And they took up other opportunities just this week, and it literally breaks my heart because they're so phenomenal. And to see them leave their current organization. It was hard for me, selfishly. And I can say that it was selfish because what they did was they fired their current employer and they went to another who demonstrated, no, 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 we value you here. And matter of fact, I just want you to know we're not some, a leader actually called one of them who was recently hired and said, I just want to make sure, and I may be speaking out of turn here, but we're not hiring you just because of all that's going on in the world. We're hiring you because you are a quality candidate and we want you and we know the value you bring. And oh, by the way, you are not going to have to work as hard here as you did there to prove yourself. This as like, right? But but they're that younger generation, right? Like they're, these Where are the- can I apply? We'll talk Thank offline. You. We will talk, talk offline. <laughs> and and it's just so I interesting. <laughs> but it is just so interesting because of course they came to me for advice at first. And it's like, well, you sure? I think maybe you want want to wait, but weigh things out and then make a decision. No, it's plain. Is it? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm here to support you didn't hear anything for a little bit. And then literally two of them in one day, one on another day, and they're out. And then, you know, right before this, I actually got a text from one of them and the CEO called me and said, I'm like, this is not a small company that you're going, the CEO called you, what? And told you, you will not have to work as hard here as you did there. You know, so, so to your point, Tandy, is interesting. I asked this question because I, I am curious to know what we would share with them. But to your point, it's, you know, there's a lot we can learn from them, like, duh, but no, really, there's a lot we can learn from them, especially in this season. Yeah, I agree. I struggle, you know, these days kind of just thinking, you know, I think like, going into the workforce and growing up, you know, one of the things that I always heard was you're going to have to work twice as hard, smarter, faster, and all of that. Right. And so I, I believed it, right. Because I mean, I believed it because it is a reality, right. It was very much the reality. I think now we are at a point where we're like, we're, we're bringing it, you know, to the front saying, this is not fair. And these are all the extra steps and extra hurdles that we had to like go through, right? So you think about like a Barack Obama who had to be all that he was and also think about Trump and what he is, right? And so that scenario plays out every single day. And so I struggle, right? Like, you know, do I want to say to them, well, you know, as a black person, you're going to have to. And even though we're having this, we're having this reckoning right now, 
those systems are still in place, right? And so it goes back to what we were saying before that we're having this moment of bringing all of this stuff to light, but is it real, right? Or are these changes that we are asking for, is it really going to happen? But I am encouraged by these kids, right? I am so encouraged because I think the other big part of it is they are like, they have learned that there is more than one way to make a buck. Yeah, yes. They are learning that the standard of you have to go to college, you have to get a, you know, you have to get a degree in X, Y, and Z, and then you have to like start at the bottom. Like the the amount of times that I've heard, well, if it doesn't work out, I'm going to start my own business. And Mm. I've met a lot of them who have. To do it. Successful doing it. Right. But like, but I feel like they have, they're ready to take that chance. Whereas before, until this day, right, my parents are like, well, you know, how, like, how sick are you? Do you really need to take that sick day? <laughs> oh, you know, in this economy, doesn't matter how good the economy is, always in this economy, you know. But again, they come from a place it's of different. Love, yeah. Right. But these babies, man, I mean, we politically just in the workforce, they're just they're they're amazing. But I think it is still worth saying to them, go for it. But also those systems, they're they're there and they are still there. However, be ready to smash it. Whereas before we would say go in and play the game. Understand that those systems are there, but at the same time, continue to fight to break it down versus the, you know, go in and play the game, keep your head down, or, you know, whatever it might be. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that it is there, but go ahead and, like, smash it and kill it. I mean, they're, the babies are going to save us. Right. Yeah. I mean, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> yes, you will, Farrah. <laughs> I was born in 2000. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Sorry, Fab, were you going to say something? To me, I would say, um, I think I I, I agree with what Tendi and Manushka shared and even what you shared before. The only thing I I would add to all of that is that we know at the end of the day, the world out there is still where it has been, the change has not happened yet. As you go into a work environment, as you're interacting with people, there will always be naysayers. There is all there will always be obstacles in your way. And just like you deal with them at school, we have a problem. You go to uh, you you, go, you schedule some time with a professor, and you set up time. You figure it out, and you go out and you take your exam, and you pass it. Capital things that come through your way um, with the same determination. Focus on your goal. Your goal is to graduate. Your goal is to move to the next step. Whatever that next step is, whether it is it's opening your own business or that next level within your company or it's owning your company, focus on your goal. Your goal should be your North Star. That's where you're moving towards and do not let the noise, do not let you know, the, I would say, naysayers, people will tell you you're too aggressive. People will tell you you are not um, 
you know, you, 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 you're not eloquent enough. You are missing executive presence. You are missing X, Y, Zs. All of these, they are noise. If they're, they are true to them, acknowledge them, do something about it because you can control that. Do something about it. Take the feedback and move on because you know what? You can also, we've all professional, we've grown up. Feedback do come from a space. If you can acknowledge that there's a reason why that feedback was provided, address it because that's only going to make you better. But stay focused on your goal. Exactly. Do not let the noise distract you from your goal. Plus one. I think that one of the things that um, I realized, even in, you know, because I have the the, um, the wonderful blessing of having a 20-year-old and a soon-to-be 14-year-old, and, um, and both boys, and the, and then they're just so different, but, you know, the, the, the difference in generations with them and how they view the world is um, is interesting. And I find that one thing I would add to everything that has been said, which I absolutely and totally agree with, um, is that I would encourage them to never lose appreciation and gratitude for those who have gone before and whose shoulders you stand on. Yeah. That there is, it makes me sad when I speak to young people of color and they don't know our history. Mm-hmm. It makes me very um, even angry when I, you know, come across children, especially when I was, you know, back in Cleveland and working with uh, young people who I was trying to prevent from going further into the juvenile justice system and um, who, you know, had no appreciation for education, had no desire, you know, to go to the you know, traditional school And while I know that was due to a lot of factors, um, there is still something to be said for the privilege of learning. And I always stress to them, you know, there was someone who was maimed because they learned how to read. Someone who died because they learned how to read. And um, so I would just I would just add that that I would emphasize and continue to remind them of the rich heritage that we have and the importance of honoring that in how you live in how you live yeah in every aspect yeah yeah well. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, ladies. This has been so rich, um, and and not just today's conversation, but the series of the conversations. And I can't um, agree with our listeners 
even more. I can't, I couldn't agree with them more in that this has been so helpful, so insightful. We have definitely um, allowed folks to eavesdrop while learning. And I, again, I'll, I'll start off, I'll end where we started off that I'm grateful that I just had this crazy idea and you said, sure. Um, because it's led to first and foremost, some really good catch up time for all of us. Um, and also just, I, I feel like the shared space was about creating safe space. And um, I remember the first conversation, there were multiple times at which all of you just breathed. And I know that was a reflection of just being able to be all of this together in the midst of all that's going on. And then at the same time being of service at this, you know, simultaneously. Um, and so that's not lost on me and I thank you. And to our listeners who have stu stood um, with us in this process, both listening, someone told me that you were taking notes during the conversation and they were passing this on to their um, team at work so that they could have a dialogue. I mean, this is what's happening. And so I thank you for that. And I'm I'm also appreciative that we will have a revisit um, in some form or fashion, but definitely of course, having more round tables um, because folks want that. And, and you've set a very high bar. So everybody else to come is, is gonna have a model to follow that. So I thank you for being the shoulders for them to stand on as well as myself as we continue this. So listeners, thank you again. As we close out again, we usually will, um, wish you a week of living fabulously fierce. We thank you for being on this journey with us and wish you a week of staying fabulously woke. Thank you, ladies. That was awesome. Wait, 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 before you end and, and leave the episode, just one quick thing I wanted to say, um, as I mentioned, this is our final roundtable as an interruption to our regularly scheduled programs, uh, programming. We will be going back to our regular, regular Living Fabulously Fierce podcast episodes starting on Monday. I'm excited, um, always excited for uh, the conversation that you'll get uh, to hear with my guest, Shirley Moore. Uh, but before ending today's episode, I wanted to thank you again, listeners. Thank you for your time, for your intention, for your behind the scenes engagement in this dialogue. And guess what? Because of the responses and the feedback that have been coming that has been coming in, um, this is just the beginning of roundtables here at Living Fabulously Fierce. They were introduced as interruptions, but next season we're gonna have more of this. So what I'm hoping to do is keep the conversations like this going, but it's up to you who's going to be next and what groups I'm going to pull together. I have a few ideas, but I would love for you to shoot me some notes, DMs, whatever. Um, what roundtable do you want to listen into? And that will help me go out to my network, to my friends, um, to ask who wants to continue this dialogue with other groups of individuals. So again, shoot me a note, Living Fabulously Fierce handle on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, Farrah Bernier, or the Living Fabulously Fierce page. You can also just shoot me an email, farrahbernier at gmail.com. Um, let me know what you want to hear. 
And uh, with that, again, thanks for joining and accepting this interruption to the podcast. Uh, We'll be going back to our regularly scheduled program on Monday when you'll get to hear from Shirley more, and we'll go through the rest of the season with the remainder of my guest. Thanks again, folks. Take care.